sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The investigation into the investigators is now underway. I, this day couldn't have gotten here soon enough. Uh, I agree. But uh, it, it certainly feels good uh, to consider the prospect of justice actually being done. And for these uh, politically corrupt uh, officials of both justice and the FBI and intelligence uh, community as well, yep. it now appears, it, it feels pretty good to just see the beginning of it. And now, Stacy Washington. Hey there, welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, we just had two fantastic interviews last hour. One with Cassie Smedley about the immigration announcement this, uh, this afternoon from the president. And then Rob Chambers, VP of AFA Action on the Equality Act, which we want you guys to burn those lines to the ground. The number to call is 202-225-3121, 202-225-3121. We need you to do it. Your commitment to calling, it's just one phone call. Um, call your legislator at the White House switchboard. Let them know that at tomorrow's vote, they're going to be deciding whether or not they go back to Congress in a couple of years. And if they're senators, well, it's obviously this is the Equality Act. It's, it's coming out of the House. The Senate is not involved yet. So really, they're, they're up for re-election at the midterm. You got to let them go. You got you to let them know that they will be let go if they vote incorrectly on this. And if you're listening and you're a Democrat, let's just have a little PSA for that real quick. You're listening. You're a Democrat. You are a Christian. You don't agree with everything that goes on in this program, but you you're plugged into AFR or AFA. You listen. Well, this is one of those issues that speaks to whether or not you believe the Bible is true. Our government is not in place, not here in America, in China. Yes. In North Korea. Yes. Um, in other dictatorships, yes, Iran, Iraq, those places, their government is in place with the explicit notion that they will tell the citizenship, the citizenry, the people, what they will and won't believe, who they will and won't worship, how they'll live. Command and control. Not here in this country. In our country, our government exists to preserve and protect the rights, God-given rights, innate rights that we have that are protected and enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So the difference there is that if you're if you're plugged in here and you're listening and you're thinking, well, you know, but I'm, I'm not against the Democrats, but you should be against this. So let's take it issue by issue. When my husband and I were city dwellers, we lived in the city of St. Louis. Uh, we took things issue by issue and we voted for people based on our core belief system because all of them were Democrats. So we had to kind of pick the best out of the worst bunch. The worst bunch, we picked the best out of them. Now, of course, long term, that was unsustainable, was untenable, and we ended up moving out of the city. But while we were there, we didn't stop voting and we didn't ignore politics just because the people who were in charge were Democrats. And in this instance, Christians who are Democrats, if, you, if you're a Christian and you call yourself a Democrat, or if you're a Democrat and you call yourself a Christian, which is what I find most often, whole nother tangent, then your this is your responsibility to tell your party leadership pe electeds, people who are elected, for you to tell them this this doesn't work for me. For you to tell them, look, I need you to, you know, I need you to respect that I'm your constituent too. Just call them. 
Don't let this be a partisan issue for you. Let it be about what it, it, it's really about, which is religious freedom and the protection of women and girls in America. I never thought I would grow up and be an adult and live to see the day that the things that, because I remember there being women who would come and talk, you know, parents in the workplace, um, coming, bring your parent to school day, um, workplace showcase. We used to have a thing called workplace showcase where people who work certain jobs come in and they talk about their work and what they did for a living. Whenever the women would get their turn to talk, they'd say, well, you know, I work in this environment and it's a male dominated field. And the right that I have to work in this environment and to make my mark is because of feminism or women before me who went and kind of broke through the glass ceiling or opened doors for me to work in this environment. I've heard that so many times I can almost give a whole speech on it myself. And I don't, um, I, I feel like talk radio, there are a lot of women in it. So it's not really trailblazing to be a talk radio host and be a woman. But I've heard that speech so many times. And now the Democrats, the par- so-called party of women, the ones who mocked a man out of a presidential race for him saying we had binders full of women, women candidates. They mocked Mitt Romney. They've mocked Donald Trump on his record with women. And this is their legislation. Call them 202-225-3121. 202-225-3121. Call them. Oh, and then after you've called them, call me. You can call into the show. <laughs> 866-963-2037. Join us here on the air so that we can chat with you. Um, so here we are. I never thought I also would have audio like this. So I don't know. Have I ever shared that we like, well, we used to. It's not on anymore. We used to like to watch Frasier. It is this weird show about these two very, very, they're, they're wealthy and they're almost effeminate. They're psychologists. You, you remember this show. It's old. If you're younger and you're listening, you're like, what? Frasier? Kelsey Grammer plays Frasier and it's a spinoff from the show Cheers. And um, it's, it's hilarious because the brother Niles is, he's got OCD. He's, he's just, he's weird. And so between the two of them and the dad, who's a cop, who's retired, who's, he's gruff and he's the only really normal one on there. And their physical therapist, the dad's physical therapist actually lives in with them um, and is from Manchester, Great Britain. And she's a real a character in and unto herself. It's hilarious the way that they interact with each other and the problems they have, et cetera, et cetera. So now, of course, that was years ago. Now Kelsey Grammer is obviously on his eighth or ninth or 20th marriage and uh, to some 20 year old and, he, and flight attendant. And she's and he's on this program with Christian Amanpour and she starts to ask him about political things. Now he's on there to promote another movie, but she's asking him about political things. And the lady next to him, I guess she's a co-host on the show. She looks like she's in her twenties and he looks like he's old enough to be her grandfather, but they're in the movie together and they're promoting it together on Christian Amanpour's show who then drags him into a political discussion. And he does not disappoint. Check this out. It's number four. I'm aware of taking a hit for it. Now, certainly there's a, you know, passions run high, and uh, and certainly he has you know been a touchstone for an extraordinarily passionate response. Um, I don't know if it's as serious or horrible as everybody wants it to be. I, I do not think Washington was doing us any favors for the last 50, 60 years. I think they've all been sort of just the same party, the same bunch of clowns, the same bunch of That's really politics. unpleasant people. That's and and I don't think they've been helping anybody but themselves. 
She says that's politics. In other words, give them a pass. That's politics. They're unable to do more than that because I'm Christiane Amanpour and they are politicians and they are unable to do what you want them to do because they have ideological bounds that withhold them, they restrain them, they keep them inside. I'm Christiane Amanpour. (laughs) What in the world? That's politics. Is it? Did he say it wasn't? Like, that's her comment? Um, you know, God bless her, help, help her be with her, whatever. Um, I, I just, I think it's interesting that Kelsey Grammer, cause she asked him, has, has your political viewpoint hindered you in Hollywood? And he says, no, I don't think it has. So he feels like, you know, I'm, I'm big enough. I've have, I have enough Emmy nominations and I have enough awards and accolades. And I've been in the business long enough that my political viewpoints aren't going to be a problem for people who want to, you know, bring me in on a project. And so he has his views and he holds them out pretty readily. He's, I don't see him like doing activism. I don't see him on Fox News. Maybe he has been on and I've just missed it. But I do see him as someone, if you ask him about it, he's going to tell you factually as he just did there in a kind of highbrow, you know, almost, uh, you know, he's rearing down over you kind of way. <laughs> but, but he's telling a, a story of, it's, it's age old. It's universal. It's the disgusting nature of politics in Washington, D.C., where nothing gets done. People go there and get rich. Nancy Pelosi, Harry Reid, pretty much everybody else, Maxine Waters. You don't even have to be good at being a congressperson to become a very wealthy individual. And a lot of them, they'll say, well, I'm wealthy from my investments in the private sector, not from being. Yeah, but where did the access come from? Where did you meet the people and make the deals? Where, the, the access is what provides the means for them to become these wealthy individuals. And they are not concerned with passing legislation that helps Americans. The bill that the Democrats should be bringing forward instead of the Equality Act tomorrow is one on reducing the number of deaths by opioid addictions for Americans. That should be their primary running point for the Democrats because they don't have anything else to run on. They can't run on the economy. They don't know how to fix it. They can't run on foreign policy. They're no good at it. They can't run on domestic policy like um, social programs, inner cities, infrastructure, rural areas. They're not good at any of that stuff. What they could say is we're going to make our signature issue. They can't run on health care. They already ruined that. Our signature issue is going to be reducing the number of Americans who are ensnared in the opioid crisis. The reason we're choosing that is because, as Amy Klobuchar said, no one's asking about Russia. No one cares one iota about collusion. But they are asking about health care, which the Democrats should honorably say, we took a swing at that and it's just not our forte. You know, have you ever baked something and afterwards you're like, not only did I mess this up, but I barely understood what I was doing. This isn't a dish for me. I'm not going to. This isn't a cake that I'm going to master. So you just don't make that cake ever again. You make other cakes, you do other endeavors, you try other new things. But on that one, it was just too complex. You, you gave it your best. It's not for you. That is the attitude that the Democrats should take towards health care. Their uh, matron, patron, saint of all house coats at, at the $12,000 level, Hillary Clinton, she took a stab at it back when she was the first lady. She was drummed out of the congressional offices with that thing. People hated it. And they almost hated her for bringing it up. And now here we are. Um, you know, we don't have to deal with Hillary Clinton anymore. But 
We have to deal with people like AOC and Bernie Sanders and others who think they know something about healthcare. They should just let it go. Stop trying it. So you got that. Um, and then I have this story. So this is a secretive practice that they're engaging in right now. This is happening on a daily basis. And it's costing taxpayers millions of dollars. The Trump administration has pledged to bring this issue to light. The issue that I'm discussing, well, attorney's fees paid out to environmental groups. That's right. Because if you're looking at your tax bill and thinking, something about this stinks. Well, here's a part of it. The Interior Department is going to create a website that makes public attorney fees paid out in legal settlements to environments available for you to look at. The environmental activists have raked in tens of millions of dollars suing under laws like the Endangered Species Act, um, which requires taxpayers to foot the bill for litigation costs. So basically, it's like going to the piggy bank and rapping on the side and having big gold coins roll out. They know what to do. They know how to file. They know how to sue. And when they do it, they're able to get these payouts. A 2016 Daily Caller News Foundation investigation found taxpayers paid out nearly $50 million in attorney's fees to groups suing under three major environmental laws during the Obama administration. Now, Principal Deputy Solicitor Daniel Giorgiani issued a memo that states that the Interior Department will develop a web page within 30 days to publicly list the details of legal settlements and cases. This is an attempt to bring sunshine to a non-transparent practice that the public is mostly unaware is actually happening. And I have to raise my hand up over here. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I knew that environmental groups sued the federal government, but I didn't know that the federal government was losing and being forced to pay um, their attorney's fees and costs and legal payouts. But for what? So... Of course, thanks to President Trump, he's like, this is going on no more. The memo was signed May 10th, but actually brought to the public, made public on Wednesday. It's in response to a 2018 order from Interior Secretary David Bernhardt while he served on former Secretary Ryan Zinke's, you know, uh, cabinet as a number two. Zinke resigned earlier this year, but has since been replaced by Bernhardt as head of the Interior. Federal agencies paid out $49 million for 512 citizen lawsuits filed under that act. Woo! Corruption. We'll be back with Craig Bannister. I'm Stacey Washington. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Should convicted felons be allowed to vote? Senator Bernie Sanders believes they should not have that privilege taken away from them. Critics rhetorically ask whether anyone seriously believes that the Oklahoma bomber Terry Nichols or Boston Marathon bomber Drozid Tarnoff should actually vote in the next election. They realize the proposal for what it is, an attempt to get more votes for Democrats. But if we set aside the blatant attempt to get more votes, the question of whether felons should ever be allowed to vote again is an important question. A good example would be Chuck Colson. After he served time in a federal prison, he was released but not allowed to vote. When he was alive, he would often remind non-voting Christians that it took 30 years to have his voting rights restored, they shouldn't take that privilege for granted. One of his illustrations was a young person in his early 20s who was convicted of three drug offenses. If he served his time and got his life together, why should he be denied the right to vote? Kevin Williamson in a recent column reminds us that someone who falls behind in court-ordered child support payments could be charged with a felony. Sure, you should pay child support, but most Americans would not even consider a deadbeat dad on the same moral plane as the domestic terrorist I just mentioned. We deny felons the right to vote for the same reason we don't let them practice law. We don't trust them with legal or political power they have already demonstrated they do not respect. Of course, we also don't allow them to buy guns or engage in a variety of activities. And so if candidates pushing voting rights for felons would also be talking about restoring other rights to convicted felons as well, it might be easier to take their slogans more seriously. But we should have a discussion about whether rehabilitated criminals should have voting rights restored. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Stacy on the Right. And it's my pleasure to welcome Craig Bannister. He's the editor-in-chief of MRCTV.org. Craig, thanks for joining us today. Yes, hi, Stacy. Hey, um, so you have this, your analysis on the top front runners for the Democratic nomination for president, um, and you have the five candidates, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Sanders, Harris, and former Congressman uh, Francis O'Rourke. I don't call him Beto. I think that's silly. Um, so they're, they're planning to thwart fossil fuel production and take on, quote unquote, the system. Is this nonsense or what? Well, uh, I think uh, a lot of it is, uh, yes, it, it, it's bluster. It's uh, uh, an opportunity to uh, appeal to the most hardcore of their base. Uh, but uh, what what really caught my eye, and, and the reason I ended up doing this piece, is I, as you know, I'm constantly studying the news, and... Uh, a number of these candidates uh, kept uh, proclaiming what they were going to do on day one in office or their very first day in office. And I thought, well, gee, it'd be interesting to do a roundup of, of what they're saying. And uh, and some of this uh, stuff is quite extravagant. Uh, uh, we have, for example, um, uh, we had, uh, we've had 
uh, Kamala Harris, uh, who says uh, that she will, uh, the first day she walks in, um, she is going to take on the system and uh, and implement her her um, uh, her agenda. Uh, she says on day one we're going to repeal that tax bill. Now that would be quite a feat, don't you think? I don't know. I mean, they they always make it sound as if they can do anything. And sometimes I believe them because look at what they were able to do with Obamacare. No Republican support. They rammed that through and now we can't get rid of it. So, I mean, I, well, I don't doubt recall, them as much they anymore. Did, they didn't even particularly have uh, enough Democrat support. Uh, do you remember Bart Stupak uh, led a coalition of Democrats who were against the bill uh, on uh, the basis of uh, – of being pro-life and uh, uh, religious uh, freedom and religious rights. And uh, I don't know quite what happened. Uh, uh, Representative Stupak, I guess, got taken into a back room and uh, convinced uh, that uh, to, to change his mind and, and go with it. So, yeah, uh, that, that particular law... Um, is extremely uh, <laughs> uh, uh, problematic in the way that it was uh, in the way that it was achieved. Yeah. So when when we're talking about um, these these top candidates, and again, I, I'm actually kind of flabbergasted, Craig, that this is the best the Democrats have to offer for the running of the presidency um, after the historicity of Barack Obama and you know, his hope and change message, these people fall really flat in the way of, like, marketing and people, someone people can get excited about? Well, um, what what surprises me is the level of vitriol and just uh, blind uh, hatred they they seem to be putting out there and are, uh, and are banking on... Uh, 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 taking them to to, to victory uh, with, uh, as you said, with Obama, it was hope, it was change, uh, at least you know during during the campaign. But in this case, uh, uh, a lot of these candidates you see out here are are just uh, calling for the heads of their opponents, and uh, it's not the uh, it's not the same message that uh, that Obama was. Uh, was presenting to to uh, voters. No, it isn't. And so we can kind of run down them one by one. Elizabeth Warren, um, she's she was at one point considered to be a major front runner, and now she has really um, she's she's not doing so well in the scheme of things. Of of when you look at candidates and the kind of messaging that they're able to achieve, and her door knocking efforts, people have said they're surprised by how much she's like their next door neighbor. But I don't have any next door neighbors. I think she'd be the president. So that's not exactly a glowing endorsement. <laughs> uh, and as you know, uh, one of the first things she wants to do, uh, she says, on the first day of a Warren administration, uh, she'll cut off all new fossil fuel leases and uh, drilling offshore and on public land. So basically, she's going to uh, try and put a stranglehold on uh, America's uh, energy. Idiotic, uh, which which, is, uh, which seems uh, I I'm not sure if that's uh, how that message plays with anyone except uh, the most hard, 
core base. I, I guess we, we will find out. Uh, she's uh, been on um, on quite a, a rant lately um, about a, a number of things, uh, uh, including um, it, uh, I guess you saw she was invited to, uh, to participate in a Fox News um, event. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, and and uh, her response uh, was: uh, Fox News balances a mix of bigotry, racism, and outright lies. Um, and she goes on to, uh, to to call them more names and uh, a, a hate for profit racket. And you'd think that if you were if you were running for president and trying to uh, appeal to uh, independent voters, moderate voters, uh, a simple no thank you might have sufficed. Well, and again, no one has learned the lessons of um, our house coat wearer-in-chief, Hillary Clinton. She said that fully one half of Americans were deplorables, a basket of deplorables, meaning many, many de- types of deplorable things. And that was, in my opinion, part of the reason why she suffered a defeat. It wasn't just her lack of campaigning in Rust Belt states. It was that statement that shaved off support in enough states to tip the balance in favor of President Trump, who he outworked her. He outcampaigned her. Um, he was much more common sense than she was. He provided a lot of levity to the race. But in the end, her own statements hurt her perhaps just as much as his attack statements might have hurt her. And so the lesson that should have been learned there for Democrats is as much as you may hate one half of the country, you need at least some of that one half to vote for you so you can get over 50 percent. So in order to do that, you can't call them names. And what she's saying is if you watch Fox News, you're not worth you're, you're a bigot, you're a racist and you're not worth her spending time trying to court your vote. And Americans who watch Fox News should just give her what she's asked you for. She's asked for nothing. Give her nothing. No votes. Well, uh, and uh, if you've uh, been reading uh, CNSnews.com today, uh, uh, you, you'll see uh, one of the pieces that I that I posted about uh, Senator, uh, is it Kamala Harris? Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris. Uh, basically echoing uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, deplorables comment uh, when she turned her ire on the citizens of the entire state of Alabama because of the... Uh, the pro-life bill that passed, um, and she basically came right out and said, uh, "We don't like these kind of people." Uh, she says, "This is the same state, the same kind of people who also stand in the way of what women need." Um, I'm, and she says that, like, like they need to check their hypocrisy. Uh, it sounds a lot like the deplorable comment, doesn't it? Mm, it's just another version, but same same theme. And you know, Craig, I'm I'm on CNSNews.com. I actually visit your website every day. <laughs> I read I read the opinion pieces, and I read the news pieces. You guys have fantastic work over here at CNSNews.com. Um, I I so one of the things that really surprises me about that is that they're so open with their feelings. So Democrats of old might have been smoother operators, perhaps, Craig, because they would feel this way, maybe but not say so every chance they got where so Senator Kamala Harris, she may be the nominee or the co-nominee running as vice president, but it's based on demographics for her. She's a woman and she claims to be black. 
Now, she's not black in the same sense that I am, where, you know, the similar background of a black American, the kind that I have. Her father is from, I think, Jamaica. Her mother was from India. That is not the typical black experience. But, you know, be that as it may, she can call herself whatever she wants. But, but she would be the... more so than Elizabeth Warren is oh. Cherokee. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, in the hierarchy of things, yeah, you're right, Greg. She gets a little higher up. (laughs) It is, it's relative. Um, But but what's funny about that? And and see see how you just cracked that joke? See that, Craig? That is the American experience. When Elizabeth Warren's name comes up, she's the butt of jokes because of that whole Native American thing. And Kamala Harris doesn't have that. That's a negative. She doesn't have that. But she does have that grating voice. She sounds like someone that has always hated you, has always hated the side of you, and every time you're nearby, she talks to you in that voice and you wish you could just sink into the floor. Imagine having her as the president, listening to that voice day in and day out. It, it would just be murder. It would just be so horrible. Uh, and uh, as, as you're, you're saying, I, I think you do see a lot, of, a lot of the left these days practicing a sort of alchemy, uh, uh, where they believe that by saying something, it makes it true. Um, by declaring people racist, it makes them racist. Uh, by uh, that, that uh, in, in the case of uh, the unborn, um, a woman can declare in the morning it's a blob of tissue, declare in the afternoon that it's a human life, and then switch back. Uh, people can declare a biological male can declare himself a um, a female. Uh, so, so a lot of it is about uh, this belief that they can change reality by fiat. Well, you, I mean, if you if you believe in a, the possible ushering in of a utopia through through uh, legislative policy and social policy then you will believe that as well, right, Craig? That That is the whole premise of the Democrats, is that at some point they'll get people to stop murdering, stealing, you know, committing acts of criminal nature and and all of that, and that at that point people will just kumbaya and will sway from side to side and will sing We Are the World from the 80s and will just be perfect people. And then we won't have anyone who's poor and no one will be super, super rich and everyone will have nearly the same stuff. And that utopia only comes from them passing policies, whether they work or not, whether they actually yield results or not. We just have to let them pass the policies they want to pass and do the things that they want to do in order to usher in the utopia. Now, you and I as adults with brains that work know this can never, ever be. But that is what they've always been about. And it's what they always will be about failed policies and these beautiful unicorn rainbow house coat ideas. Well, and the argument is always, well, we just haven't had the right people trying to implement it. Uh, and as a uh, number of authors have, have noted, uh, the, the uh, socialist utopianism always eventually deteriorates to totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, I am personally, I, I am a religious person. And, as am but, I. But even, but even for someone who isn't, I, I think it. it it should be fairly obvious that in a society without God, which when you create God government and, and government takes that role, you need an infinite number of laws to either prohibit or compel every conceivable type of human behavior. 
and it's just it's in, it's un, impossible. It is because instead of people, instead of society being guided by a common sense of uh, set of, of values or ethics or morals or what have you, you have the only thing that is wrong is that which is illegal, and the only way people will do what the government wants them to do is through uh, the threat of, of, of force. Mm-hmm. Instead of being uh, propelled to right actions by a sense of morality, you know, it's a, it's a personal responsibility. When you remove that, the threat of, you know, punishment through legal means means that whenever there's no one around to watch you, you don't have to do it. And so right. it has to be but, but an it's internal also impossible to create enough laws to anticipate mm-hmm. every possible human action. Yes. And and either prohibit it by law or compel it by law. You're so right. Uh, but this is not something that's being taught anymore. And and sometimes when you hear it expressed like you're talking about it now, it just it strikes me that you would never hear a conversation like this on CNN or MSNBC. Because the whole premise that we really need to take the responsibility onto ourselves to in, to be moral people and to, you know, I, I've met people who are atheists who they've never committed a crime. They're very moral people. And they, they'll tell me, I'm not a faith person, Stacy, but I do believe, you know, it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to steal. And, and I do have a moral center. And I really, I, I, my heart goes out to those people because their, their level of self-control is obviously one that is yielding them some results in that. But for most of us, and this is humanity, this is my belief as a Christian, we need a savior. Otherwise, we're depraved, indifferent, and completely, you know, un- unredeemable, irredeemable people. Um, and so the, it is that moral center, and it's something that grows. It's not like you're born and you take a couple of classes, you know, at three or four years old, and then you're good to go. It's a continual quest to try to learn more about our faith and our religious practice as Christians, to become closer to God, to increase the strength that we have over our flesh and its depraved condition. People need to know that. And I'm really glad that you brought it up in our interview today. And I I thank you for coming on uh, and joining us and spending some time with us. Craig Bannister, editor-in-chief of MRCTV.org. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Talk to you again soon. I'm Stacey Washington. Be right back. Two thousand eighteen was the busiest year ever for eight days of hope. Steve Tiber. Over six thousand volunteers descended to Southeast Houston over a three week period during eight days of hope fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and helped over a thousand families rebuild their homes all in the name of Jesus. Also, Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina. We had volunteers, leaders, and equipment in New Bern, Fayetteville, and Wilmington. And then, of course, Hurricane Michael striking the panhandle of Florida. We were in Panama City Beach for five weeks, loving and serving families who had nowhere to turn. 2019 could even be busier as we plan to go back to some of these same communities to be a glimpse of who Jesus is by using the gifts he's given us to bless those who are looking for a glimmer of hope. Go to 8daysofhope.com, submit your email address, and we'll notify you of our plans in 2019. American Family Association is pleased to partner with 8 Days of Hope. 
And you can too. Learn more at 8daysofhope.com. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's a particular reason why there is a Back to God radio show. It was about four years ago, God called me out of the pulpit and said, Dexter, I need you to go tell my people it's time for them to get back to God. Back to my morals, back to my values. This is the thing that you're supposed to do simply because you belong to the Most High God. It's the least that you can do for a God that loves you the way that He does. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Tomorrow, Congress will be voting on the Equality Act, legislation that will destroy religious liberty in America. It's urgent you call your congressman. Call the U.S. Capitol, ask for your representative's office, and leave a message urging your representative to vote no. The Equality Act would essentially nationalize Target's dangerous bathroom policy. Call 202-225-3121. That's 202-225-3121. And urge your representative to vote no on the Equality Act. It's Fox Wheels. Ford expands its medical shuttle service, Go Ride Health to at least seven states by the end of 2020. We specialize in transporting the elderly, people living with disabilities, and also the disadvantaged. GoRide CEO Minying Yang say they operate about 60 shuttle service vans in service that's currently offered in Michigan and Ohio. A teenager in Emporia, Kansas, issued a ticket after driving around a barrier, and her car was swept away from floodwaters. Rescue crews managed to find her in the middle of the night on top of her car's roof. She's safe and now understands that barricades around flooding are there for a reason. NASCAR will pause the Coca-Cola 600 in the middle of the race on Memorial Day weekend for a moment of remembrance. The 30-second break will take place at the completion of Stage 2 when the cars will park in pit lane and be joined by their crew members. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Understand what the Democrat chairmen are doing, Lou. You got Richard Neal, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, going after the president's tax returns for the past several years. You've got Maxine Waters and Chairman Cummings going after 10 years of the president's business records based on the testimony of Michael Cohen, who went to prison last week, and he went to prison for lying to Congress. And then you have Chairman Nadler, who is, who is telling the attorney general, comply with our subpoena, and if he would comply with that subpoena, he would be breaking the law. So this is how, this is how crazy the Democrats have gotten in, and the coordinated effort they have in attacking the president of the United States. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for being here today. We have so much awesome to cram into this last segment here of today's program. And uh, I just want to reiterate, MRCTV.org, that was our last guest. He was really great. Um, It was great to talk to Craig and catch up with him and kind of get his analysis on what's going on with these presidential candidates. So, yeah, um, that was Representative Jim Jordan talking about the coordinated attacks against the president of the United States and how this is extrajudicial activity. It's illegal. It's uh, not what our government was set up for. If President Obama was still in office, he'd say, this is not who we are. (laughs) And in that case, he'd be right. Okay, so Representative Jordan has actually made a demand. There are some memos that have been uh, executed, if you will. And they're between Maxine Waters and some of her cohorts in the Democratic Party and some senators, some House members, 
they're memorandums of understanding and they help to guide the activities of these members. And Representative Jim Jordan wants those to be produced so that the American people can see what's in them so we can understand why all of this came to be. I tend to agree with him. He's absolutely right about this. It's number two. Maxine Waters, uh, Chairman Waters, has, we think, a memorandum of understanding with Chairman Schiff. We know that Chairman Cummings has one with Chairman Waters as well. He entered into that without telling the committee, didn't tell me, didn't tell Republicans on the committee. My guess is he probably didn't even tell the Democrats on the committee. We want that information public so the American people can see, again, when you put it in writing, the coordinated effort amongst the chairman to systematically go after the president of the United States, the guy that we all elected president, that's what we want made public. So uh, the courts talked about it yesterday in the court case mm -hmm. about the, the president's business records. We think the American people should be able to see that memorandum of understanding. Wow. So we sent a letter to Chairman Cummings today saying release that information. And we want to see it released. Um, now, I don't know. He doesn't say anything about the power to force them to release the information. That would come from Americans basically burning down phone lines, calling their legislators to offices at home, saying, you know, you don't have the right to keep the secret. It should come from mainstream media, the way they attack President Trump for every little thing, the way they've accused the, the uh, you know, Jared Kushner and his wife, Ivanka, and so many of the Trump kids of being um, outside of what they're allowed to do with their security clearances and then this and that. What would be awesome is if we could just, just get, you know, get the media to give some scrutiny to the Democrats. I mean, it would just be great. Um, and if they would, Americans would know about this. So clearly with our audience here, I'm so fan, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have our fantastic audience here and to have you, people here to hear this information, but we need every American to know that these memos exist and to be concerned about what it means that they have memorandums of understanding on how they're going to work to oust the president of the United States. Imagine if there were memorandums of understanding created by Republicans about the first black president. Oh, there would be some prices that needed to be paid. Am I right? We know that. We know that they wouldn't tolerate it. So it's just disgusting. Um, it's just disgusting and it's, it's wrong and it's something that shouldn't be happening. Um, so... You might have seen stories or, you know, news reports about the State Department telling, um, well, the State Department's issued a warning for Americans to leave Iraq ASAP. Do not travel to Iraq due to terrorism, kidnapping, and armed conflict. U.S. citizens in Iraq are at high risk of violence and kidnapping. Numerous terrorists and insurgent groups are active in Iraq and regularly attack both Iraqi security forces and civilians. Anti-U.S. sectarian militias may also threaten U.S. citizens and Western companies throughout Iraq. Attacks improvised, attacks by improvised explosive devices occur in many areas of the country, including Baghdad. Um, so per news sources, the United States told people to bug out of Iraq because of specific incredible intelligence that Iranian forces and or their proxies were planning to target U.S. forces in locations, including Iraq. That was behind the Pentagon's recommendation that a carrier strike group be moved into the region and Secretary Pompeo's rush trip to Iraq last week. So first of all, and I understand that if you're there for work or business or maybe even family, you're like, you don't feel like you have a choice. But in what universe is Iraq like your primary place that you want to be just hanging out and doing your thing? I mean, help me to help you to help me understand what 
you're doing over there. We've moved a carrier strike group into the area. Do you even, like, do you even military info to kind of understand carrier strike group? A carrier strike group, just in case people are wondering, is an operational formation of the United States Navy. It is composed of roughly 7,500 personnel, an aircraft carrier, at least one cruiser, a destroyer squadron of at least two destroyers or frigates, a carrier air wing of 65 to 70 aircraft. Now, an air, ri- air wing is comprised of squadrons. Squadrons usually have between 18 and 30 aircraft per squadron. Um, usually, it's, it's 30. It's 30 aircraft, you have, and that comprises a squadron. There may be, they may be smaller, but usually it's 30. Because out of the 30, there'll be a few of them that are operationally, they're, they're suffering from hard breaks, and so they're planes that won't go up. Um, but again, a carrier strike group commander operationally reports to the commander of the numbered fleet, which is operationally responsible for the area of waters in which the carrier strike group is operating. So we just sent 7,500 troops, an aircraft carrier, a cruiser, a destroyer squadron, which is two destroyers or two frigates, and a carrier wing of 65 to 70 aircraft to the Middle East. And Americans need to be warned to get out of Iraq? Come on, whatever is next smoking out of there that you think will actually take off and land without you being destroyed, get on it with your bags and get. You need to be out of there right away. Why, do, why, at the announcement of a carrier strike group coming to the area, you should have already been had all your stuff packed up, got your little iPhone chargers together, kids, whatever you've got. If you're there on your own as an adult, it's easier for you. You don't have as much to get. Just get all your stuff, go buy some extra luggage, pay the extra baggage fees and get out. It always shocks me. Even when we were, so when I was a kid, sometimes they'd have, you know, you have to, you can't be in this, in this country. And when you're overseas and you're a part of a military installation, those warnings will come out. And my dad would always say, oh, they're telling Americans to get out of so-and-so, you know, back then it was places like Beirut and stuff like that. And I'm like, dad, why do they have to get out? Terrorism, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Americans aren't safe there. They could be kidnapped and held for ransom, et cetera, et cetera. And I would always say, why would anybody hold an American for ransom? (laughs) And then my dad would say, well, because we are a wealthy nation and they hope to extort money from our nation to get our citizens back. But we don't ever pay for people to get back. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I remember having this conversation with my dad. He's like, yeah, you know, remember I've taught you about this. Other nations that don't have as much political clout will use the citizens of, you know, very influential nations to kind of it's like a bargaining chip. They're trying to have some way to negotiate or get an action out of this country. And so I, I just remember thinking to myself, wow, so Americans are kind of valuable because people keep, you know, kidnapping them out of these, you know, third world pits. Well, come on. So if you're in Iraq, whatever your business interests are, should pale in comparison to your own personal safety and ability to not be ransomed off uh, in some horrible YouTube video with a, with a bunch of like Middle Eastern people who are saying that if America doesn't give them such and so and so or trade some terrorists out of Gitmo for you, that you know, you're, you're going to die. Just come home or, or better yet, you don't have to come back to America. The state department is simply saying, get out of Iraq. That's so, so simple. So easy. Just do it. Don't wait. Do it now. All right. 
after that tirade. And that's, that's just the mom and me saying, why would you even put yourself in jeopardy? Why? Why would you even place yourself in a position where you might hurt? You, you might be kidnapped. You might be hurt. Um, so remember we've talked about Huawei, that uh, Chinese-owned, it's a subsidiary of the communist Chinese government. And they've been doing business in Western nations because their uh, 5G software contains well, it's surveillance stuff, spy stuff. And what happens is if you use it, you give the ChiComs an ability to kind of insert themselves into whatever infrastructure you're using this 5G system for. It's fantastic for the Chinese, but it's horrible for Western nations. So the United States, under Pompeo's direction as Secretary of State, has been really kind of pushing back against European nations capitulating to China and using this. Um, the latest U.S. broadside against Huawei that puts a Chinese firm on an exports blacklist threatens to rattle the global tech chip supply chain. Linked closely to $105 billion, billion in business of the world's top supplier of telecoms network equipment. So the Trump administration has said it would add Huawei Technologies and 70 affiliates to its entity list. Now, the entity list is a move that will likely ban the firm from acquiring U.S. components and technology without government approval, adding yet another incendiary element to the U.S.-China trade war. The ban is not yet effective. A similar U.S. ban on China's ZTE Corp. had almost crippled business for the smaller Huawei rival last year before the curb was lifted. Sanctions on Huawei are, however, likely to have ramifications beyond the company itself. So the sanctions on Huawei um, would disrupt their business at a minimum and all but put it out of business in an extreme because its U.S. suppliers would also be hit. Out of $70 billion in U.S. dollars that Huawei spent for component procurement in 2018, some $11 billion went to U.S. firms including Qualcomm, Intel Corp., Micron Technology, Inc., and they could see that revenue disappear. This is going to be messy, which uh, that's a quote from a Chinese-based source at a U.S. tech company. It will be tough for Huawei, too, because none of its U.S. suppliers can be replaced by Chinese ones at least not in the next few years. By the time they're able to replace their American suppliers with Chinese ones, the company would already be dead. So this is like a kill shot from the president to Huawei. And I think they went around trying to be nice about it, just talking to the Europeans and everyone else who was planning on standing up these 5G networks with all of this spy capability. They told our allies, you know, we won't be able to communicate with you on these networks if you use Huawei as your, your, you know, your platform. And they were like, yeah, but it's cheap and it's good and it's time and we want it. And so now we're going for, we're going for the, the actual source of the issue. We're going straight for them. Revenue for the company, which is also the world's second biggest maker of smartphones, touched 721 billion yen, which is 105 billion last year. That's eight times ZTEs and half the annual sales of South Korea's Samsung Electronic Companies, uh, Samsung Electronics. What's funny about this is it makes me wonder, and I'm sure there's articles out there I could verify, not right now on the show, but, you know, last two minutes of the show here. I'm willing to bet hard American greenbacks, good ones, you know, like actual currency, that part of the dominance of Huawei comes from their stealing intellectual property from American phone makers who have their uh, factories located in China. Without our factories in China, making phones and sharing the intellectual property, 
Huawei wouldn't even be a thing. But it is a thing because previous presidents have allowed the, the intellectual property theft. Companies have allowed the intellectual property theft so that they could get the cheap, cheaply made items into the U.S. market and keep prices for phones for us down below, you know, 500 at one point now below a thousand and keep Americans, really every one of us having a phone, every man, woman and child, even the little two year olds have phones and, and iPads. If the phones were priced competitively and they'd been manufactured in the United States, you might have one phone per household, maybe two. Every person wouldn't have one. So the sacrifice, intellectual property. The result, you have this company that competes with ours using our own stuff. So uh, Huawei has come under pressure over the past year, given the mounting international scrutiny led by U.S. allegations that its equipment could be used by Beijing for spying. Now, the, the company Huawei says that that is unfounded, that that's not true. A range of Asian and European suppliers could also be hurt if Huawei is forced to curb production. Telecom carriers that rely on Huawei have largely resisted U.S. calls to bar the company, would be left scrambling just as countries race to roll out the next generation 5G mobile networks. Hey, if you want to play with the dirty dogs, don't get mad when you get hit by the hose to clean everything up. I don't feel for them. Sorry, I don't. All right, that is the show. Man, what a great day. God bless from the heartland. Have a fantastic evening. And uh, more Stacey on the right, right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk tomorrow. 